my friends. Welcome to week three of Summer at the Compass, a series where we're being blessed with four great guest preachers. And our guest today is Steve DeWitt. Steve is the senior pastor of Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. I met Steve exactly a year ago. In fact, I was on my summer study break. It was that season I was just getting to know my friends at our Bolingbrook campus. In fact, I left the Bolingbrook campus, drove to southwest Michigan to visit my in-laws. I'll confess, I was at an ice cream parlor. Big surprise. And there standing in front of me was this nice dad with his little kids. And I introduced myself. It was Steve. Found out he's a pastor. Found out his church is in the Chicago suburbs. Found out his church has four campuses. The similarities were amazing, and a friendship began just like that. I had Steve come visit in Naperville. He had me to Crown Point, Indiana to visit. And he has been just an incredible spiritual blessing in my life. In fact, he he gave me, in one of the visits, he gave me a book he had written called Eyes Wide Open. Steve, I'll confess to you, I wasn't expecting much. But when I started to read, I was blown away at how God moved in my life through Steve's book. That book led to a profound season of spiritual awakening in me. It was awesome. Steve's been a great blessing in my life, and I'm confident he's about to become a blessing in yours. Friends, would you please give a warm welcome to Steve DeWitt. Good morning, Compass Church. Great to be with you here today. I uh, would say it is true. I met Pastor Jeff in an ice cream shop, uh, and apparently from that video, that's not an uncommon thing uh, with him. But what is uncommon is to randomly meet somebody that you have so much in common with, because we got... We got talking, and, oh, you're a pastor, I'm a pastor, where do you pastor? Okay, Chicagoland area, me too, and, uh, you know, uh, tell me about your church. Well, we're multi-site, so are we, how many campuses, four, so do we, and our our churches are similar sized, and our our ministries are very similar, and so uh, I I, uh, just have been praying for him since meeting him, and we have a little friendship that uh, has developed. I came, I came out here. In fact, one of the things I appreciate about Jeff is that I came, uh, I came out here in, in, I forget what month it was, to, to visit him here. And um, I, didn't really, I didn't really understand the scope of the ministry that he leads. And so I pulled into the campus here and just this big facility. And um, he didn't put that out there like right away. And I take that, I think that's humility, and I see it as a sign of godliness in his life, and I just appreciate that very, very much. And so when he invited me to come and to uh, fill in for him, I, I, I quickly said yes. So I'm delighted to be here. I had an interesting experience last night. I, I, so I show up, and, and uh, I pull in the parking lot. Literally, as I pull in, a guy pulls in next to me, just with sunglasses on, just stares at me. And I thought, wow, that's kind of a warm welcome here. And so I got my things, and I, I, was, I opened my door, and he, he comes walking at me very provocatively. And I'm like, uh, okay. And uh, he takes his sunglasses off, and it was a guy. He used to go to our church and, uh, and was a Secret Service agent and really cool guy. And uh, he goes here now. And so that was kind of fun last night. And I just had that 
at our uh, service in Wheaton, too, another experience like that. So somehow Bethel Church is uh, helping to fill the row, the seats here at uh, Compass Church. <laughs> I would appreciate if Jeff would send a little few people our way, not just be sucking them from our church, but... I'm honored to be here with you today and have chosen today to talk with you about Jesus, and specifically to talk with you about God the Father's purpose to unveil the glory of the second person of the Trinity above everything and everyone. And my text today is Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 through 18. And uh, this is what the Word of God says. There, there, the personal pronoun he is, is Christ as I read this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. May God bless his word today. Amen. This is one of the most Christ-centered passages in all of the Bible. There is so much here, way more than one message can get to. I want to focus in on verse 18. So that in everything he might be preeminent. That Greek word, therefore, preeminent, it means literally first. So that in everything he might be first. The NIV translates this word supremacy or supreme. So that in everything he might be supreme. And what we see right away then is that there are two kinds of first that are described regarding Christ. We see earlier in verse 17, he is described as being before all things. This would be Christ chronologically being first. In other words, the eternality of the the person of, of Jesus. That in eternity past, he existed before everything that is not God. God was just there within that trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus was there. This is this is John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is, this, Jesus said this uh, uh, to answer a question before Abraham was, I am. All of these describing the eternality of Christ. He was before all things. But that is not the sense of supremacy or firstness here in verse 18. First in supremacy means first in honor, most worthy, highest treasure. This is a statement of his value and his infinite worth. It's kind of like the difference if, if I was to ask you, what is your, what is your preeminent possession or supreme possession? You, you might say, well, I... I would maybe, maybe my house would be my most valuable thing that I have in my life. And I would say, really, do you have children? Yes, we have two children. Are, are they more valuable than your house? And you realize that when you're talking about children and value, all of a sudden you're in like another category, aren't you? Now, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old daughter, and just quick, cute daughter time out yesterday, 
I was buckling my four-year-old daughter into her car seat, and she found a, a sucker that the bank had given her, and she said, and she looked up, she goes, I'm saving the sucker. I said, that's good to be saving. That's very good. And she says, I'm saving money in my piggy bank. I said, that's really good. And I said, are you, are you saving for college? And she says, yes, I'm saving for college. And then she said, what's college? <laughs> so love these little kids, right? They just, just love them so much. Whole other category of treasuring when you're talking about a child. And that is the sense of this, of this word. First in value. First in supremacy. And what is plain, therefore, in this list here is that there is a divine plan at work. We see that in verse 18, that purpose statement. You have this, 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 and this, so that in everything he might be preeminent. Well, what is included in the list? We see in verse 15, Christ's incarnation in verse 16, the acts of creation in verse 17, his sustaining power, verse 19, his saving work on the cross. In other words, all of these acts of God in history that we celebrate and we ought to celebrate were all done for a purpose so that in everything Christ might be treasured might be seen as preeminent, might be held in highest esteem. Leads to a question. Because if you're tracking with me, this is kind of troubling actually to to grasp because it leads to the question, who is really at the center of the affections and the purposes of God? Because human pride, we want to think that the reason that God has been doing this and the reason that Christ came and the reason that the cross happened was because we are somehow worthy of that. That this is like about, this is a statement of our worth. And we look in the text and we look in other passages of Scripture, and it is true that God has loved us with a perfect and divine love. It is true that Christ came and died on the cross to save sinners. That's what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a worthy, trustworthy statement. Worthy of all acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There are purpose statements that indicate that Christ came to save us indeed. But we find that there are deeper, or we might say higher purposes that, the, that God the Father has beyond merely saving sinners from their sins, as glorious as that is. And here we have our finger on it. What is the deepest reason behind why God has done all of these things? So that in everything, he might be preeminent. This is about Christ. We say it at my church, it's all about him. It's all about him. And the reason that's a little mantra in our church is that if somehow we quietly become about something else primarily, we are fighting against God the Father's purposes in this world. I can't faithfully say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven if the deepest purpose in my heart is different than the deepest purpose in the heart of God. And what God is doing in this world is he is unveiling the glory of the Son. And we have the privilege of being a part of that plan. Which leads to another question, if you're tracking with me. But wait a second, 
I thought Christ always was the Son of God. I thought Christ always was infinitely worthy. And if he already was all of that, was really all of this necessary? I mean, why go to the trouble, if you're God the Father, why go to the trouble of doing all that he has done? And he has done a lot, wouldn't you say? Including the creation of the world, the creation of the universe, the creation of the galaxies, the creation of the atoms, the the making in this world of the mountains and the oceans and human beings made in his image. That's a lot of trouble, don't you think? And to purpose in all of this, all of the things of the drama of human history, including Adam and Eve rebelling against him, including all that he was going to do in terms of judgment of sin, and you think about redemptive history, the flood, and his covenant engagements with Abraham and Moses and the Israelites, and all of the drama with the kings of Israel, and all the things that have happened, the incarnation, and Jesus becoming a human being, and all that Christ went through, and his cross, and his sufferings, and the resurrection, and all the things that are yet to happen. The new heaven, the new earth, final judgment, all of that. I mean, that's a lot, isn't it? Wouldn't you say that's a lot? I say that's a lot. And why go to all of that trouble if Christ already was the infinitely worthy second person of the Trinity? And the answer is that while God the Father knew all of these qualities to be true of Christ, there had never been a context, or we might say a canvas, on which those perfections of Christ were displayed. And so God purposes to create a context within which these eternal qualities in eternity past could be unveiled and displayed. You say, like what? Well, that Christ might be praised for his love, which he shows to people who don't deserve it. How do you know how loving somebody is when they show love to people who don't deserve it? How about that he might be treasured for his obedience in his incarnation and his obedience even to death on a cross, Philippians 2. How about his tender compassion? Who knew that Christ was so compassionate? But we read in the Gospels. He sees the blind man and he sees the deaf man and he sees the widow whose son had died. And in each case his heart fills with compassion and he reaches out to them. Who knew? The father knew. But there would never been a time or place for that to be displayed. So all of these things that have always been true, the Father purposes to unveil them so that he could be admired and he could be worshipped. Now, I would compare this, just to illustrate this a moment. Do you guys have PBS up here? I would think you would have it here in the sophisticated western suburbs. I'm sort of in the Downton Abbey of, you know, the Midwest here. I'm a, I live in Hoosier land, so, you know, we're, we're more like American pickers type people down there. <laughs> but here in the sophisticated western suburbs, 
you have PBS. And are you familiar with the PBS show Antique Roadshow? Okay, are you familiar with this? All right. If you're not, let me just tell you how this works. Okay, it's a show where they announce in a community antique roadshows coming to town. They rent a convention center and they invite people to come and to bring their items that they think might be valuable. And so people in that community go into the attic and they go into the garage and they pull out whatever that they got from grandma and they head to the, to the, to the convention center. The people line up, and even as you watch the show, you can see in the background all the people standing there with their different items waiting for them to be looked at, and the show hires these experts, and honestly, you think, how do these people know this stuff? Because they know everything about everything, but these experts, they walk around in the, in the line, and they look for things that they deem valuable, and when they see them, they say, hey, would you come over here with me? And so they go over, and they've got this whole then, like, you know, setup where, There's a table with velvet on it, and they've got spotlights, and they've got cameras, and uh, they put the item on the table, and the expert says to the person, so tell me, how did you come into possession of this? And, you know, it's all kinds of different items, but, uh, you know, the woman says, well, you know, uh, I grew up with this. This was at my grandma's house, and this, this, uh, this, you know, vase or vase is... We, you know, we put the cat's ashes in it, and it was a doorstop, and we, uh, you know, we're about to throw it away, but you announced the show was here, and so we thought we'd bring it by. And the really good episodes are the ones where, in this moment, you look in the eyes of the, of the uh, expert, and he's beginning to tear up, right? And sometimes they'll, they'll say things like, well, ma'am, I'm so glad you didn't throw it away, because... I never thought my eyes would see, in my whole life, would see this. This is a second Ming Dynasty vase, vase, that only two were made, and one's in the museum in London, and we've lost the other. It went down with, you know, the explorer and whatever ship, and I have no idea how you got this, but it is... So beautiful, and look at the designs, and she begins pointing out all these little, you know, the shape and the brilliance of the artist and the this and the that, and, and you know, through the tears, she says, at auction, this would probably come in somewhere in the vicinity of, and sometimes they throw out really big numbers, don't they? And do-do-do-do, says the value of the, of the item. It's a fun show. Okay, it's a fun show. What, now here's the question. Was the vase worth more before or after the Antique Roadshow? And the answer is the same, right? The same. When it was in the attic, it was second Ming dynasty. But what has changed now because of the antique roadshow? Now that vase has been put on display. And now the lights have been fixed on it. And the cameras have been on it. And the pointing out of all of the little details that are so fantastic and wonderful about the vase. It is not worth more after the roadshow. But it is 
displayed. It is unveiled. It is brought out of the attic. And what God the Father is doing in all of human history is bringing Jesus out of the attic and dusting him off and putting him on display before all of the universe and pointing out all of the little beautiful features of his character and his nature seen in what he did in redemption and what he is doing and what he will do. And all of these are the opportunity for Christ's glory and perfections to be on display for his praise and his worship. And God gives us the privilege to have eyes that see his glory. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4 that the unbeliever, is, his eyes are blinded to the glory of Christ. And that is why when you talk to a neighbor, or they see you going to church, or you talk about Christianity with somebody that isn't a Christian, it's like it's not connecting for them. They're like, I don't get what the big deal is. Like, why are you so, like, all about this? And you're like, because of Christ. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? Is that your heart today? Have you seen the glory and the beauty of Christ? Because he is the most glorious person in all the world. How is Christ displayed as supreme? And we see in this text this list of items and qualities of Christ that he is worthy. We see this worthy as the Son of God and what he did in saving us. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. I can't see God. You can't see God. But when we, through the gospel, the gospels see the very life of Christ, we are seeing what God is like. God is on display. In the life of Christ, he is supreme as the Son of God. Verse 16, he is the creator. By him all things were created and held together. He is eternal. He is before all things. He is completely God. Verse 19, God was pleased to take all of his fullness and make it dwell within Christ. He is supreme as the Savior of the world. And the, the, the call of the New Testament and the call of Scripture is not simply to sort of get that he is these things, but to summon out of our hearts a kind of wow, a kind of worship, a kind of love and adoration. Here's Hebrews 1.3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. John 1.14. The word became flesh, made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's what Jesus says, his highly priestly prayer, John 17. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. What is all of this all about? What is it all about? It is about Christ and his glory and the unveiling of that to all of the world, to all of the universe, for the praise of his glory and his grace. He is supremely worthy. Where is all of this going? What is your future? I, don't, I look around here, other than creepy guy last night, I don't know hardly anybody, okay? But here's something I can tell you about every single person here. You are going to bow before him. Even if you're here today and you're like, you're a mocker of Christianity, you're going to bow before him. 
The day is coming when the Bible says that Christ is going to return and all the people at your work and students in your school that use his name for profanity and they mock his name and they think you're a nut job because you follow Jesus, in a moment, Christ is suddenly going to be there. And there will be displayed that Shekinah glory, the infinite worth of Christ and the armies of God behind him and he is going to come into this world and Satan is going to bow before him and the demons are going to bow before him and the presidents and the kings and the pharaohs and the Caesars and everybody else is going to bow before him. Philippians 2, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess, Jesus Christos Kyrios, Jesus Christ is Lord. You're going to bow before his infinite worth. You looking forward to that? I am. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory, and riches, and power. All glory be to him. He is supremely worthy, Christ. And we find, therefore, that in the church, he is to be the focus of the church. What is the purpose of the church? So we all get together, have a nice time, slap each other on the back, go home and do our thing. No! The focus of the church is Christ. What is the purpose of a biblical church? Magnifying the glory of Christ. Who's the head of the church? It is Christ. The, the head. What is the head on a body? The, the head is the focus of the body. We have other things that are important for sure. But we ride motorcycles and we put helmets on. Or we should to protect the head. We garnish our heads when we go out in public. When we greet one another, we don't look at our feet and say, so nice to meet you. We look each other in the eye. We say, this face, this head is the representation of this person. And in the church, Christ is the head. He is the focus. He is the point. Who is the pastor of this church? Really. And it's not Pastor Jeff. And it's not the elders of the church. The pastor of the church is Christ. He is the chief shepherd. He is the leader. He is the lover. He is the savior. He is the redeemer of the church. All praise be to him. And this leads to our supreme affection. How we love him. How we love him. And to ask the question, why did the Father do this? Why did the Father go to all of this trouble? Why universe? Why galaxies? Why atoms? Why mountain ranges? Why nine billion people that have, live on, have lived on planet Earth? Why all of the drama yet to come? Why the eternity and the new heaven and the new earth? What's the point of, of all of this? Why did the Father want to unveil the glory of the Son? And the answer to that is because he loves him. The Father loves the Son. This is a love story. Christianity and and human history is a love story between the Father and the Son within the Trinity. And he wants the Son to be glorified before all creation and grants to us this incredible privilege to see the same glory that he has admired in eternity past and to 
have that same sense of delight and joy and gladness in Christ that the Father has as he is delighted in him for eternity. We have this incredible privilege through the gospel and through salvation to see the glory of Christ. And this is what separates sort of like intellectual assenting faith walk with what real Christianity is. Or the kind of like performance-based, I'm good with God because I went to church on Sunday. You're here today, congratulations, big whoop, okay? So what? You can leave here. It makes no difference in your life whatsoever. It's not the purpose to get people to a church. It is your heart that God is seeking. And it is affections for Christ down within who you are that God unveils the glory and summons that love and affection for Christ. That's what he wants because that's what he has. That just dawned on me. Why does God want us to love him, the Son? Because the Father loves the Son, and he shares that joyous experience of knowing Christ with us through the gospel. The countdown's going, but I'm on a good point right now. The Father is sharing his joy in Christ with us through the gospel. Do you like that? I like that. That's a, wonderful, that's a wonderful thought and truth. And the point of this is that Christianity is about love. Heart level love and affection. Not performance, not just brain. Heart and delighting in Christ. Some time ago, I had a flight from, doesn't matter where, I, was, I had a flight. So I was sitting in the, in the airport, and I don't know if you're like me, but I'm like stressed out until I get to the gate, okay? So once I get to the gate, I sort of decompress, I feel great, right? Okay, I'm where I need to be, I'm not going to miss this flight, I got my coffee, got my book, I sort of people watch, it's very therapeutic for me. I love those moments right before the flight. And uh, I'm sitting there. And filling up the whole gate area were women. And they're all dressed the same. They all have these blue dress suits on with these flumes coming out both sides of their shoulders like this. And they were talking. Let me tell you. It was like, and I just was sort of like cocooning into my little chair there going, who are these people? And so I said to the person uh, that sat down, I said, what's going on? And uh, she said, we just got done with the Mary Kay convention. (laughs) I was like, oh, Mary Kay. Great, great. So... We get on the, on the plane, literally, it's like 150, 160 women, Mary Kay representatives, and me that are on this plane. <laughs> and so it was a Southwest flight, and they like to kind of have fun. So the flight attendant gets on and goes, hey, how are all you Mary Kay people doing? And they're all like, woo, you know. And they, were, they were singing Mary Kay songs. Who knew there are Mary Kay songs? It's true. I'm not making this up. They were going around with cameras, you know, hey, hey, tell us, how has Mary Kay changed your life? And the person would be like, well, this way and this way and this way and this way. And 
I mean, it was like the plane was alive as we were on, on the, just on the tarmac. And so I, I sit down. Of course, it's a Mary Kay representative next to me. She looks at me and she says, do you sell Mary Kay? <laughs> I said, no. And uh, she says, well, we have some wonderful products. And she pulls out a catalog and she starts going through them. And I'll never forget that because, I mean, that plane was alive with energy and excitement. And there would be no way that you could have been where I was on that plane and not think, man, these women are really excited about Mary Kay. So here's my question. If somebody was to spend a little time with you, a little time in your home, little time with you in the car. Would anybody get the idea that you think Jesus is the Savior of the world? That you are excited about that? That you, down in your core, are genuinely loving and delighting in Christ who died for you? If people in this world would get excited about such silly things, how much more should we, followers of the Son of God, transformed by the Holy Spirit, granted the privilege of seeing the beauty and the glory of Christ, express that with joy and gladness and delight in him? So I encourage you, Compass Church, get him out of the attic, dust him off, put the lights on him, put the cameras on him, and unveil to this community that Christ is the most wonderful, the most beautiful, the most glorious person that you could ever know. All glory be to him. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have purposed this, that you have planned this, that you have enacted it. We thank you, that Jesus, that you have been obedient to the will of the Father. We thank you, Jesus, for the cross. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for the church. We thank you for the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that you would... Please, in our hearts, draw us again to the glory of knowing you, loving you, serving you, and worshiping you. To you be all the glory. Amen.